the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. You can find me at chadburton.com. Shoot me an email if you have a money question for the show. And for those listening, the numbers I'm about to talk about are before the market opened on December 20th, 2023. So I want to talk about what has the market done since November 1st? It has been an everything rally. So, and you can see that clearly because some of the areas that have lagged that I've been talking about really rallied in this last month and a half, or I guess month and 20 days. So In that period of time, since November 1st, the S&P 500 is up 12.8%. Now, the equal weighted S&P 500 ETF, RSP, where instead of market cap weighted, like we've been talking about on every show, it's equally weighted across the entire S&P 500. So you're going to have more down to the smaller side of the companies, up 15.78%. So it's actually outperformed the S&P 500. The S&P 500 growth for the year is really mostly due to the Magnificent Seven. Now, when I look at the S&P 500, there's about 100 stocks that are still negative for the year. But um, this last month, a lot of that got turned around. Uh, emerging markets up 8.8%. International developed up 11.25%. The Russell 2000, the big Laker, small cap. I keep telling people that this is the longest period of time in the 30 years that I've been doing this. that I've seen a, a outperformance of large cap over small cap to this extent for this many years. But the Russell finally rallied up 21.44% since November 1st. Bonds rallied up 6.6% or so on U.S. aggregate bond uh, ETF AGG, which is the overall representation of the overall U.S. bond market. So it was an everything rally. Um, If we look at where our indexes are year to date, NASDAQ up 54%, S&P 500 up 26%. Equal weighted S&P 500 index RSP is uh, up 13.25. So like I said, a little divergence there. Emerging markets up 7.17%. International developed up 16.6%. Russell 2000, small and mid cap. Although I like better indexes uh, than that because it's very broad and uh, there's no, no profitability requirements in the companies in that. Up 16.53. U.S. bonds, I mean, we were just negative back in October. But for the year, up 4.97% if we look at the AGG. Um, But let's put this in perspective now, because if we go back all the way to, like I've been doing each show, January 3rd, first trading day in 2022, and we started the year off with the idea that rates were going to be going higher, essentially. 
um, and then got proof of that later in the year. If we look at what happened, and because I always say this, but investors have financial Alzheimer's. Forget what happens. I forget about volatility and retail investors that get sucked in after a rally um, end up getting whiplashed on this kind of stuff because they just don't understand that it's a longer term game. And you got to put things in perspective when you're investing, you're looking at, okay, what's this situation going to look out at like three to five years down the road, but I want to you know, be able to make changes that I can you know, deal with for a long period of time. The NASDAQ is now in positive territory since January 3rd, 2022 of 3.26%. So huge rally up 54.64%, but it, most of it is because it just got hammered last year. S&P 500 up 2.56% total return since January 3rd, 2022, according to uh, white charts. Equal weighted S&P 500 flat for the year. That's a more representation of how truly all of the companies in the S&P 500 are doing because it's equal weighted. And it makes sense, right? We, in January... Uh, by uh, or by mid 2022, everybody's recession 2020, uh, late 2022 or 2023 for sure gonna happen. Um, it's a recession that has never come. Um, it will likely turn into a slowdown. I'm kind of in the soft landing camp, mild recession for 2024 because there's got to be something that occurs from these huge rate increases. Other than just the regional banks failing, it's been you know strain on especially smaller companies. That's why smaller companies. They have to borrow money to, uh, you know, typically buy more equipment or buy other things to help expand their business. And they're more subject to interest rates. Um, so th- that's why they've been so, so depressed on returns versus large caps. Um, but it makes sense that when you're, you're going through, you know, COVID and then we got the rebound in 2021 and then we got the rate increase threats in 2022 and a big decline. And then it's just kind of back to normal. So when we've been expecting a recession for two years, it kind of makes sense that most of these indexes are sideways to slightly down. That's kind of what the market does. And when you look at the S&P 500 over the last 50 years, it's averaged over 11%. It's positive something like 74% of the time. But when it's positive, it's typically double digits. And then then when the S&P 500 is negative, the typical Negative years around 13, 14% last time I calculated it. So it, it can be a volatile ride. And if anything teaches you something, when it feels like stuff is sold off too far, good time to buy. Um, still one of my biggest winners in the recent years is adding a bunch to small cap right in the heart of the COVID correction. Now we had to trim a little bit of that going into 2023. But that's an area where it's finally rallying, it's finally participating. And if interest rates do kind of come down a bit, that could be a big, uh, you know, place to look. Because most of the time when we, our advisors take a look at portfolios and people want to come in for some help, it's mostly large cap S&P 500 type stuff, which has had the largest outperformance over the last decade. And when you look at asset classes, when you look at something like if you go to, uh, Google and uh, on images, search for the Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N, periodic table of investments. It shows you how asset classes go through. They take turns on being the best place to be and being the worst place to be and being somewhere kind of in the middle. Um, but it's been the biggest period of time on large cap growth outperformance versus value. And it's been a biggest length of 
large cap outperformance versus small cap that I can remember. And I've been, this is the 30th year in the business. And I like, I got into the market because I loved studying the market when I was in college. Now, um, let's, let's look at some of the things that people are missing from portfolios quite often that are still down that if we do get a soft landing and then, a, you know, back to another bull market, what are some areas where prices are depressed since January, 2022, when the threat of higher rates started to affect the market, emerging markets are still down, um, uh, about 15 and a half percent since January, 2022 international developed is flat. The Russell 2000, um, you know, slightly down small cap value is slightly positive small cap growth. When I look at most of the indexes is down about 13% real estate down about 17.54%. Now what's interesting is real estate is a lot's going to play out here. Uh, first of all, I don't think we've seen price corrections on real estate. Like anybody thought it just was a slowdown. People stopped moving around and inventories dropped, but it's not like values drop drastically of anything, but, you know, office space, right? And I'm talking about not office space in the suburbs because that's very well occupied. Talking about office space in poorly run cities um, that kind of got decimated during riots and everything else, like Portland, Oregon, like San Francisco, like Oakland, like downtown Chicago, downtown Houston. But even if you look at outside of Houston and more of the suburbs outside of the city, very, very busy. Um and because of all the private and direct lending, which we've talked about in the past, I think some, you know, we, we've got the next two or three quarters where we're going to see how well some of these real estate companies can refinance their debt. When you buy commercial properties of any kind, typically it's a 15 year type of amortized loan, but the rates are locked for five or 10 years. So people are always refinancing their commercial properties every five or 10 years. So we've got a lot of that coming due. At higher rates or see how that affects the market but it's still down since january say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for 2500 dollars per month with no nightly rates taxes or fees you might call it the suitcase is always packed pass or the wait i get to choose from 100,000 trips pass the will it be the beach city mountains or all three pass or you could just call it what we call it the inspirato pass endless travel for 2500 dollars per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Next year now, the, the I mean, part of the reason why we had this everything rally that I was talking about through from November to now um, is the idea that the Fed's going to cut rates quickly in 2024. It's basically how the market's taken this. I think it's gone a little bit too far too fast because there was quite the bond market rally over the last month. Like I said, um, uh, we look at bonds in general of about six to 10%, depending on what you're looking at. And since November 1st, well, actually since about ooh, October 20th or so is when rates kind of topped out. Um, so now, I mean, the market kind of is, the bond market especially is assuming about a six uh, rate cuts next year. Um, and when that happens, if the bonds that you own are paying, you know, let's say five and a half percent and rates go down and new bonds are paying four, the price of your bond actually goes up. So you could actually sell it for a profit and have a higher total return than what your just stated interest rate is on the bond. 
the 10 year treasury rate, which is kind of the main rate that affects the economy, right? It's closely tied to mortgage rates and other issues. What the Fed does is direct is the overnight lending rate between banks. So it takes a while for what the Fed does to affect longer term bonds and rates at which people borrow money for a long period of time. But we started the year, I mean, go all the way back to COVID, you know, we got less than 1%. We started this year at 3.88% on the 10-year treasury. It got to 4.98% on October 19th, and it's now back down to 3.9% today. That is some massive volatility in the bond market. That's not how the bond market typically works. It's been insane. It's it's one of the craziest years in the 30 years that I've been doing this. And I will still point out that interest rates inverted back in July of 2022. That means all of a sudden, starting in July of 2022, you could get a higher rate on a two-year government bond than you could on a 10-year bond. That's an inverted yield curve. And that tends to happen when short-term rates, when the feds are starting to raise rates, and they go up quicker than what the overall market kind of believes is what's happening in the economy. The 10-year rates are, okay, well, the stock market's going to um, potentially decline because of a recession. So people pile into bonds and that helps keeps the rate down. The, if you continue to buy bonds, it pushes the bond price up and the yield down essentially, right? So right now, twos and tens are still inverted. The two-year government bond is paying 4.43%. The 10-year, like I said, is 3.95%. So we still have that to deal with. And I will argue that geopolitically between the mess that we have in the political system in the U.S. And uh, I, I mean, it looks like what the front runners are going to be on each party is is just I, I, I just shake my head. I'm like, how is this happening? We got the whole Colorado thing with with Trump. Now we have two wars going on and we have the Fed saying we're likely going to cut rates. Now, why are they saying that? Because they, they believe the economy is um going to slow and inflation has become under control. Now what we can continue to see issues of credit card debt for consumers increasing. So this has been a, a wide, it's been interesting because it's like where the inflation is sticky and where it really hit hard, higher than the published rates is especially at the grocery store. So it, it's kind of, it's it's been a real tough time if people were already, you know, paycheck to paycheck, it's even worse now. And so even people that I know that were family members that retired with that thought they would be okay several years ago. They didn't save much, but between Social Security and a couple other things, they thought they'd be okay. They're not. They're kind of like, what did I do? Why did I why did I retire so early? Because they didn't think about inflation. Inflation is a boogeyman. The order of stock market returns is a boogeyman. Uh, high healthcare costs and nursing homes and things like that, boogeyman in retirement. But inflation is a big one. The market is going to do what it's going to do. It's going to average in the next 35 years what it probably averaged over the last 35 years. Pretty darn good results. Inflation is what can have it flow. We enjoyed two decades of lower than average inflation. So we're probably going to have at least a five-year period which has been higher than that. But it's it's kind of getting under control in terms of the supply chain and several other areas. It's you're starting to see better numbers, but food, especially healthy food at the grocery store, you can eat cheap. But the the stuff that our U.S. government allows in food and processed food and sugars and all that garbage. I mean, that's why we've had this huge explosion in diabetes and mental health issues is because of the food. And so if you're trying to eat healthy, you know, grass fed 
beef, no processed meats and that kind of stuff. That is very expensive right now. I'm going to talk a little bit about that if I have more time at the end of the show, because health is so important for retirement planning and enjoying the wealth that you've created and saved over time. But right now, I want to get get to an email from Brian. If you have a money question for the show, don't be shy, please. I love it because it gives me good content. And Brian was asking, um, if you have a loss in a taxable bond or bond fund, can those losses be taken to offset gains in equities? That's a great question. And it reminded me that I talk about this sometimes, but I probably don't step back a little bit and say, okay, this is how it, it really works. So what's Brian, what Brian is talking about is he's investing outside of retirement accounts, right? I'm not talking about IRAs and Ross and 401ks. I'm talking about you've, you've opened up a mutual fund account at, say, Vanguard or T. Rowe Price or a brokerage account at Fidelity or Schwab, and you've been buying stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, bond funds in that taxable account. And one of the things that you always need to do is keep an eye on your capital gains, right? So what is a capital gain? Simply put, it's it's the profit you make when you sell an asset for more than what you paid for it. So that can include your home, a rental property, stocks that you buy outside of retirement accounts, mutual funds that you buy outside of retirement accounts, bonds. Um, I already mentioned real estate, your business. So if you you know start a business, put a bunch of money into it, and eventually sell it down the road, that gain is typically taxed as capital gains. Now capital gains tax brackets, as long as you've, as long as that gain is coming from an asset that you've owned for more than 12 months, um, there is a capital gains tax bracket that is pretty friendly. There's a pretty large amount that you could have at a 0% rate, and then it goes 15 and then 20. And um, it's a little bit more friendly than the ordinary income tax bracket, which goes 10, 12, 22, you know, all the way up to, you know, into the 30% range. Now, if you buy a stock or a bond or a piece of real estate and you own it for less than 12 months and you sell it for a profit, that's a short term capital gain because it was held for under 12 months. And that's taxed at the ordinary income tax bracket. Okay. So as an investor, if you have taxable accounts, one of the things you're trying to always do is balance your your gains and losses. Um, And so in many cases, there's going to be, you look at your portfolio towards the end of the year, and you might've along the way, especially in retirement, you are sometimes selling assets on the way up in order to support your standard of living. And when you're doing that, a lot of times you're selling stuff that has a gain. You're creating a capital gain situation. Also, in in mutual funds and ETFs that you own, stuff is happening inside those funds, right? The manager is buying and selling different assets. Even if it's an index fund, certain things get kicked out of the index and added to the index. And so you can have capital gains distributions that just occurred here in December. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts, regardless of where they're held. 
Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. All right, so what we're talking about is portfolios and managing taxes on portfolios. So I've seen studies in the past that said that Morningstar put out, I haven't seen an updated one, but years ago was that the average investor loses about 15% of the return in their taxable accounts to taxes. So for example, if you buy a mutual fund or an ETF in a non-retirement account, even if it's an index fund, index funds will change the makeup of the index at least once a year. They'll reconstitute. And sometimes that can cause capital gains. If you have an actively managed fund, let's say a Fidelity Contra fund or something like that in a, in a non-retirement account, inside the fund, the manager is buying and selling stocks all year long. And in fact, in some cases, maybe you buy the fund in 2023 and they've owned Apple for 10 years and they decide to trim some. Guess what? You could be getting a distribution this month and having a capital gain to report on your tax return that you didn't know about. And so it's really important this time because most of those have been paid out now to look in your taxable accounts and look at what did you do in terms of buys and sells? Do you have a gain? Um, If so, you need to say, do I have any losses that I could sell something, buy something similar but different and stay out of what you sold for at least 30 days and take that loss to offset any gains that you have. It's called tax loss harvesting. We do this for clients throughout the entire year. And so, for example, um, back, well, let me, let me continue on with how the capital gains and losses work. So, first of all, because capital gains can happen from stocks, real estate, business, bonds, whatever, um, when you sell those, you can use losses on other assets. It doesn't really matter what type, as long as it's not in a retirement account that you can sell to offset those gains, right? Now there's certain years, like in 2022, when the stock market was down, what, 18, 19%, the bond market was down 13%, um, where active tax loss harvesting could have created a net capital loss. And you can carry that forward indefinitely until you use it up indefinitely. It doesn't matter. So if you haven't had a, when you have a big down year in the market, a lot of times it it pays to harvest a bunch of losses. If you know, eventually you're going to be selling a piece of real estate, other stocks that you own, a business that you own, because that loss gets carried forward until you use it up. If you don't have any gains in a year, you can actually use $3,000 against your ordinary income. And so you can add a lot of value by active tax loss harvesting. So for example, at the end of November, you know, uh, or since, since the beginning of November, rather, almost all asset classes are up now in terms of large, small, mid, international, um, all of them are up. Now, there's certain stocks that are down, right? When I look at the S&P 500 right now, 500 of the largest companies in America, there's still about 100 companies that are negative for the year, believe it or not, even though the return is so high. But you look at specific stocks like Raytheon, down 16% for the year so far. That's weird. That's a defense company. We got two wars going on. Shouldn't that stock be up? You got uh, 3M, Johnson & Johnson. Both those stocks are down for the year, right? So you might have little pieces of your portfolio that you might want to still own these stocks for the next five, 10 years. 
But there's no reason why you can't sell those stocks, go into an ETF, which is an index fund that you that owns that stock, but is more diversified, and make sure you don't buy that stock again within a 30-day window. And that way you can harvest the loss against other gains that you might have. And at the end of 30, in, in 31 days, you look at the ETF. Is that something you want to keep for the long haul? Um, is it up, down, or neutral? And do you want to sell that and go back into the stock that you want to own for the long haul? So that is loss harvesting. You can add a ton of tax value. Um, some of the loss harvesting that we did in 2022 when the market's down, um, when you know most asset classes were down, right? So you got to try to make lemonade out of lemons. We did a lot of tax loss harvesting which created a carry forward loss to future years for our clients to help them reduce capital gains in the future. Um, one, we did a bunch of loss harvesting because we knew we had a client that was selling their business this year. And so the, you do have to realize though, that just because you don't want to harvest a bunch of losses in a bad year. So like, let's, let's say you invested in the market for the first time in January, 2022 and everything was down you don't typically want to harvest losses unless you have other gains to offset, you know, either right now or at some point in the next couple of years. Cause you don't, that's just, that's not smart, but you always want to look at it in terms of what's happening. So at the end of the year, I always say the holidays come at the worst time for me because our certified financial planner practitioners busiest months are often November and December. We're looking at the overall client tax situation. We're doing tax loss harvesting. We're doing, calculations of what their tax bill looks like. And should we convert a little bit more from an IRA to a Roth, for example, what type of retirement accounts should we be funding? What needs to be set up before the end of the year? All that's happening as a result of the investment side is kind of easy guys. I mean, we can, with technology, um, it's easy to create and manage and monitor a good diversified portfolio. So where we have to add value is tax planning, financial planning, retirement planning, estate planning, all of those different items to keep taxes as low as possible. The tax code right now is way too complicated, way too complicated. It is insane. However, the cuts that occurred in 2017, this is the best tax situation that I've seen in the 30 years that I've been doing this. So it's likely going to get away. So you have to know how to, to, to use the current codes. This There's a difference between ordinary income taxes, which is like, how are your wages from your employer taxed? How is the interest on your bank account taxed versus capital gains taxes that I'm talking about right now? There's a big difference that you need to understand. So to go back to Brian's question, can you use a loss on a bond to offset a gain on a stock you might've sold? Now, if you would have bought a California municipal bond fund, right? In January of 2022, so, you know, you're, you're investing in when you're investing, oftentimes you're contributing in multiple periods of time. And so sometimes you look at a, at a holding that you have and you have to look at the lots that you've purchased. So anything that you might've purchased in bonds in January, 2022, you were likely down about 9% by October 20 of 2023. So you're looking at 23 and you realize, oh my gosh, I've got gains. I've got capital gains. I had to trim my Microsoft or NVIDIA stock that's gone up 200 plus percent this year. I need to pull some off the table because I own too much of it. Um, and let's say you would have purchased in January, 2022, $100,000 in a California municipal bond, and you would have been showing a loss of $9,000. And you've got this gain from Microsoft or NVIDIA that you've already realized. So what you would do is sell that bond fund in October and 
locked in that loss, but you wouldn't sell it and stay in cash. That's typically a horrible idea. What you would have done is sold your really good actively managed, uh, you know, American Century bond fund or your Vanguard long-term California taxable muni fund. And you could have bought an ETF, let's say CMF is an ETF that owns the same thing. So you're still in the market because it's a good thing you don't sell it and go to cash because there's a, you know, what, six, 7% rally since then in bond prices. And you would have missed out if you would have stayed in cash. So the idea is you sell something that has a loss, you buy something that's similar, but different. It cannot be the same thing. It's like, for example, if you have a loss in an S&P 500 index mutual fund, you can't sell that and buy an index S&P 500 index ETF. You'd have to buy something that's different, like a Russell 3000 or something. So there are rules to it. You got to know what the wash sale rules are. You got to realize that if you sell a stock to take a loss on it, you can't buy it for 30 days in any before, after in any account, including your IRA accounts. Interesting, right? You're taking the losses on your taxable account, but you can't buy that position back within 30 days in any of your accounts. Okay. So you got to realize how the wash sale rule works. The 30 day window, substantially identical securities rules, um, uh, sometimes you end up selling something for a loss and I've seen a dividend reinvestment occur in that month, um, buying the shares within that 30 day window. And it can create that wash sale rule. So you got to make sure you go in and sell those, that dividend reinvestment, that kind of thing can happen. But, um, it's all really important to take a look at this because if you think about having a lot, a gain, a capital gain of $10,000, in your account and you don't do anything with harvesting losses, that capital gain is going to be taxed probably at 15 to 20% federal for you. Plus somewhere between 9.3 and 13.3% at the California state tax bracket. California doesn't care what type of income it is. It's all the same bracket. Um, if you, so if you have a capital gain of 10 grand, let's just call it 30%, you got a, uh, you know, $3,000 potential tax from doing that. But if you could have sold something showing a loss and bought something different for 30 days, you could have gotten rid of that $3,000 tax bill. That's It's a ton of value that you can add by active tax loss harvesting. And so one of the things that allows you to do this, and this is kind of getting a little bit more into the world of wealth management and higher dollar values, because there's different types of investing out there, right? You've got active management versus passive management. Now I like a combination in my portfolios of both active and passive. I don't mind passive in large cap exposure, but I like active a little bit better in almost every other asset class because it's small cap emerging markets and things like that, that active management tends to outperform over the long term. A lot of times it's because they, it drops less in the downturns. That's kind of what I like to look for. So there's active versus passive management. And you can either invest in individual stocks on your own, or you can buy funds, ETFs, or, um, or index funds. So I was talking about the world of direct indexing. So as an investor, you could typically say, I want to buy stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. And my portfolios have all three of those stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, as well as some alternatives, um, like direct lending, uh, private real estate, other things like that. 
if you're a person with a very large dollar amount, let's say you sold a company, you cashed in a bunch of options as you retired, you inherited a bunch of cash, you're trying to say, how do I build this portfolio? One of the options that you have when you're starting with a lot of extra cash, um, so this is something that could be considered probably over, you know, the $2 million range. So talking about wealth management here, obviously, but instead of buying a S&P 500 fund, like VFIAX from Vanguard, or even better, because they're structurally, they're better tax wise, you could buy VOO um, from Vanguard, which is S&P 500. So it's the same exact holdings. They're replicating the S&P 500. It's just in an ETF form. ETFs trade all day long like stocks. The shares are created or dissolved on the fly by the, 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 the whoever creates them versus a mutual fund like VFIAX, which trades once a day at the end of the day. And they're not created the right the same way. So if something happens, if you buy in this year and they bought something years ago and they sold it, well, they, you can end up paying a little bit more in taxes. Um, ETFs tend to have a little bit lower management fees. So for example, when I look at VOO, which is Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF, VFIAX, which is their mutual fund, the Spider ETF SPY, which is the S&P 500, iShares IVV, which is the S&P 500, all of them have very similar returns because they're all investing in the S&P 500, largest 500 companies in America. Um, so far, it looks like the winner this year is VOO. It's up 26.2% as of December 19th versus um, SPY, which is up 26.06%. So SPY, the ETF, actually had slightly better return this year than VFIX. It doesn't really matter. They're all going to end up in the same. So if you want your large cap exposure, especially right now, the SP 500 is large cap growth, you can buy an ETF or a mutual fund to get exposure to all S&P 500 companies. If you have a large dollar amount, you can actually do direct indexing. What I mean by this is that if you own, for example, VOO, you own the S&P 500 ETF, you could literally go back to Vanguard. I've never seen anybody do this, but you could go back to Vanguard and say, you know what? I don't want this ETF. Give me all of the actual individual stocks that make up this ETF. And you could end up owning a piece of 500 different companies, right? Or, and so that way you could choose what you wanted to hold and what you wanted to sell. So that's the way direct indexing works is that you can go in and say, all right, rather than a mutual fund or an ETF, I want to replicate the actual individual holdings inside of the S&P 500. Now to do this, your, your, in, your management fees are going to go up a little bit, but what does it allow you to do? It allows you to be much more tax efficient because of the way that these direct indexing platforms and our software that we use works. So for example, this year, the last time I looked, even though the S and P 500 is up 26%, most of that has to do with the top, you know, companies in it, like the magnificent seven that we've been talking about. Last time I looked, there's about a hundred companies in the S and P 500. That's actually negative for the year. I mentioned three earlier in the show, for example, um, and so what a direct indexing approach allows you to do is say, hey, I want to be a passive investor. I want to own the S&P 500. But multiple times a year, you can actually sell individual stocks and go into another stock in the S&P 500 or an ETF, for example, for that, remember that 30 days you have to stay out of the position. So 31 days later, you do it. And you can actually 
more effectively manage and harvest losses along the way with direct indexing. So when I have a person that comes in and let's say they inherit $5 million of cash from grandma and they want to start building a portfolio, sometimes we consider doing direct indexing um, because everything's in a taxable account. There's no sheltering. We have to be aware of taxes. And you can do this on multiple fronts. You can have direct indexing in all of your asset classes, for example, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international. So for example, this year, um, well, now everything's pretty much positive for the year. But earlier in the year, if there would have been gains on the large cap manager, you can go into the emerging markets direct indexing sleeve and harvest losses to offset gains that happen in the large cap. So we use a lot of technology to do this. Um, I mean, it, it just blows my mind the changes that I've seen in the 30 years of doing this, I remember working with my grandfather at 19 and we used to have to wait for the Morningstar magazine to come out on a quarterly basis. It was like that yellow tinted paper that we had to thumb through to see exactly what mutual funds were owning, what their performance was, um, what they owned. But the data was always, you know, at least two to three weeks old by the time we got the magazine. Then eventually we had dial up Internet in order to <laughs> research things. And then it became the Internet. And, and now... We went from, if you wanted to buy a stock at a broker, it was a two to 3% commission on the front end. So if you're investing a hundred grand in Microsoft, it would have cost you three grand, um, two to three grand. Uh, now trading is free. You can buy individual stocks and ETFs at, at Fidelity and Schwab for free. Um, and it's just changed so much. And the technology side has made it so that the investing and creating the portfolios and monitoring that is easier. So as a certified financial planner, we have to deliver more services to people if we're going to charge on a portfolio. So that's why if you're sitting there and you've got this high chart, basic portfolio of mutual funds and ETFs, and you're paying over 1% a year, and you're not getting a detailed financial plan, detailed tax analysis, tax planning, estate planning, you can't log in somewhere and see what are you likely to be worth when you're 80 years old and what are you going to be leaving to your kids and what are those tax issues? You need to go into 2024 with the idea that you need a second opinion. You need to get those services for what you're paying. If you need help with that, just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find my podcast, everything on all the platforms. Just go to chadburton.com and uh, find me on Facebook and Instagram and shoot me a like. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.